Hello, and welcome to Veterinary Vibes, the podcast where we vibe so you can thrive. I'm your host, Garth Robillard, and today is an absolute honor as we sit down with the remarkable Dr. Wael Kamas. Dr. Kamas holds a BVMS degree from Baghdad University and has earned both an MS and PhD in veterinary anatomy from Iowa State University. With a career spanning decades and an impressive portfolio of over 60 publications, his passion for anatomy knows no bounds. Beyond his academic achievements, Dr. Kamas is a guiding light in the world of veterinary education. His dedication to student success has touched the lives of countless aspiring veterinarians. He's not just a professor, he's a true educator, nurturing the next generation of veterinary professionals. So join us as we delve into the world of veterinary anatomy, histology, and so much more with the incredible Dr. Kamas. Well, Dr. Kamas, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This is important for me, and I hope we learn a lot about each other and other people get to listen to kind of who you are because we appreciate you as a person here at the uh, at the school, and not a lot of us uh, go out of our way to say it, but I just want to say that to you here. Just the talk of the classmates. I always like to pick people's ear, and they're always super excited to go to anatomy, especially when you're on the microphone there. So <laughs> we appreciate you first and foremost. How's your day today? It's very well. Thank you so much for what you just said. And I'm very happy to be with you. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we just got out of anatomy. So I was watching you earlier and, you know, you have a nice system of checking an iPad and which group you need to go to. And you were bouncing all over the place and showing us crazy nerves and opening up the brachial plexus. And it was it was a great time today in anatomy. So let's uh, start off in the beginning with you. So you were born in Iraq. What was that like? I mean, it's a huge transition coming to the U.S. I know that you went to the University of Baghdad in 1973 and got your degree there. Why don't we start there? How was how was education in Baghdad uh, like? At that time. Exactly. Because it's, it's completely different now. So uh, Baghdad, mm-hmm. to me, is the center of the world. It's the first place like I started to learn about the culture of Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. So close to 6,000, 7,000 years. The first written law in the world, Hammurabi Code of Law in Babylon. And we here in America, we say that um, I'm not going to be inventing the wheel. The wheel was invented in Babylon. So we have beautiful country, two rivers, tributaries, and mountain, desert area, plain, Beautiful, rich country. The education was top notch, and we were approaching like the first world mm-hmm. in that aspect in the sixties and seventies. When that was the time, I graduated from high school and started to think about college and veterinary medicine, and uh, like the city, similar to any cosmopolitan city here. And I played bowling in Baghdad. Wow. I used to go to the swimming pools. And people think that we'll still live in tents mm-hmm. because they show certain areas underdeveloped in every country in the world. Sure. We have underdeveloped cities. And we did not like worry about that. But still, I graduated from that school in College of Veterinary Medicine, University of Baghdad. And because I was in the top a uh, few people on my class, I was like appointed as a teaching assistant for the promise that I will get a scholarship through the Ministry of Higher Education. Wow. And eventually I s- spent five years and a half in the Department of Anatomy and Histology in Baghdad. And the focus at that time is only uh, anatomy because uh, we had too many histologists and then after that, I got this scholarship and went to Iowa State University for master and PhD. Started in 1978 and graduated in 1983. Uh, mm-hmm. Like January 1st, 84, I left the United States. I went back to Baghdad to serve the country that I spent at that time, $85,000 on me. Wow. For my education provided that I go back and teach and serve the country for the same number of years. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I did that to honor my commitment to the country. Well, that's a respectable trait to have, and um, 
I'm sure that they benefited majorly from you and you did life-changing research over there, I'm sure, in teaching because uh, it translates here. We see the passion that you have and uh, I think that stems from just the kind of guy you are. So I love that about you. And uh, it's amazing to see that you got an MS in veterinary anatomy and a PhD in veterinary anatomy. Correct. So that's that's huge. And coming from uh, Iraq all the way over to the U.S. must have been a huge culture shock for you. I mean, just the way the dynamics work. What did that feel like for you the first day that you came here? It was a very tough decision for me to just pick United States. But I was raised in an area that we admire the United States education love and Germany. Those are the two that I had in mind to study anatomy and histology because even the German during the Second World War, that they were doing some research and collecting information underground. So I thought that either Germany or the United States, and I had my eye on Hanover, and any state in the, in the United States will be fine with me as long as I'm going to be trained with them. So it happened that I had a, a graduate from Iowa State. He's originally from India. He was teaching in Iraq in Baghdad. I was his teaching assistant. And he was impressed with what I was doing and excited about the anatomy. And he gave me the recommendation to Iowa State where uh, Dieter Delman, teaching there, and Nani Goshal. Goshal is like the editor of the anatomy of the domestic animal. That's uh, huge. And I said that, well, that's the place I should go. <laughs> so I applied and I went there and I was very successful, thanks God, and thanks to those people who took care of me. Yes, when I arrived here, uh, it was a little bit of shock. Mm -hmm. But the people around me, and they took care of my wife, foreign student wives wow they had and those are those several american ladies and they are making this group and link to our wives so that they will not feel lonely wow. and especially if they have the ch they have children they took care of them i had my first son he was six months when i was when i arrived and they took care of my wife and the child okay i am now focusing on study and focusing on Delman and Goshal, and learn from them as much as I can. Wow. And that's what happened. That's beautiful. Thank you. So family drives your passion for veterinary medicine. Yes. Really just encouraged you to just dive right into the deep end. And um, I think that's a big blessing and, and something to thank God for because uh, family is extremely important. So I'm happy that you're one of the one of the educators that came out of the system and stayed in it, right? Thank you. Because a lot of people yeah. will go to private practice, um, and you kind of took a route of of foundational knowledge and wanting to spread that to us, so we can further ourselves and encourage others. So, um, what led to anatomy and histology? Why, why such a big passion for that? Yeah, it did not start that way. When you think about it. I excelled in so many disciplines, including parasitology, pathology, internal medicine. So when I was appointed as a teaching assistant, at that time they had only two like uh, departments in need of teaching assistant to be sent abroad for a higher degree. And that was surgery and anatomy. <laughs> and I said, okay, let me learn the basic anatomy. And if I think about surgery, I personally did not like to work on live animals because I love them so much right. and I don't want to hurt them. We are not <laughs> hurting them by sure. doing surgery, but still I have to put them down sometimes mm -hmm. in case anything happened. So I said that I'm going to anatomy and then let me think about it. The more I learned during the time when I was teaching assistant, we had large number of our faculty in Baghdad at that time. They are not Iraqis. Majority of them from Egypt. They graduated from Germany, from Australia, uh, from England. And I was lucky to be their teaching assistant. And they said the same about me because I helped them so much in their routine life and in their teaching. But I attended the presentation, lectures, workshops, practicals, whether I was assigned or not. 
Mm-hmm. And I learned so much. And I said, this science, I need to dig deeper to learn more about the tissues. And I always think that, okay, the hepatocyte is the same size in the elephant and the rat. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Unless the engineer is the same person or the same That's true. entity. That the same engineer put these cells and then distribute them among our animals. But regardless what I'm going to say, that I learned a lot, I still don't know tons of information in my own specialty. And it is really difficult mm-hmm. unless I continue to read and learn. And lucky me, I landed here and the student challenged me on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. If not in the lab, they will send me an email. What is this? This book is saying this, that book is saying mm-hmm. that one. And which one is right and why? And the functions. So I'm learning with them. And that's a blessing. I paid it twice. Mm-hmm. Like God bless the students that they are yeah. going to be here to help me improve and develop myself and correct my mistakes if I make any. Sure. And then force me to study and learn. <laughs> and in addition to that, the university paid me salary. <laughs> At the end of the month, well, I'm surprised that I should pay them. Yeah, for the enjoyment that you get out of this. Exactly. But I think that's important, like you say, um, that you don't know certain things still, that you haven't mastered this science. Uh, and we as students can contribute to the fuel that you use to put that passion and desire into veterinary medicine. There's a lot of different industries within veterinary medicine that play integral roles. And you're essentially the foundation, right? You're building the foundation for us to go and throw up our houses of veterinary medicine. Yes. So it's it's just amazing to think that you can inspire people to look at a cell, to look at something, a tissue, and go, that is beautiful. I always love when you discuss uh, certain things. You can just look around. The next time you say something in class about how something is is beautiful to look at, you'll see cracks of smiles. Now that we don't have masks on, you can see the smiles that go around. So I love hearing students talk about that because it is sometimes difficult to get people enthralled about uh, histology. Let me tell you, That's true. I will be honest with you. <laughs> I agree because some some of the people, they say that, okay, what are you going to invent? A new cell? Mm-hmm. When I was in Jordan teaching, like they established a new school and my students graduated from Baghdad and they went to America. They got PhD. They established a veterinary school. They recruited me. Mm-hmm. I went to Jordan and then when I look at the slides and sometimes I challenged the student and I said, this is a blood smear, find me basophia. We know that it's 0.51% or less in the blood, so it's going to be difficult for them to find. And when they find what I said, this is the most beautiful cell. Mm-hmm. And the student will say that, is this the first time you've seen it? I said, yes, it's the first time after one million, but I'm still impressed when I see that beautiful cell. Right. So you're right, I'm still excited and I, think this is contagious. Sometimes I would like to transfer it to my students, to my colleagues, and like loving the subject, try to link it to application when we graduate or you graduate and go to your clinic. Even if you just change one person's mind, I think that's beneficial, right? It, is. it just takes one. I agree. It's like a cell. <laughs> I agree. It can do many yes. great things with one. So how does histology and anatomy and embryology even play a crucial role in diagnosing and treating animals. I know we kind of want to go into practice and we think of broad macro things, but it's really the micro things that are are, are big players in the game. So how does that play a huge role? So I'm going to give you an example of what I think personally, that four years is not enough to educate the student, get them ready, unless we try to like encourage them to read as much as they can, to interact with others, to learn with each other. And as a group, they will be helping each other. So if I put one student with another veterinarian or with one veterinarian for four years, by the end of the four year, that student can do spaying and neutering and diagnosing and prescribing certain medications 
am I going to be able to say that this is a doctor? If they change the medication, if they change the dose, if they bring a different size animal, if they bring a different species that he has not seen under that doctor or with along with that doctor, he's not going to be able to or she is not going to be able to handle. So preparing a doctor to think, we need to give him this kind of weapon. This is the basic science knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the best example is today that I circulate among the students in the lab and they ask me, what is this muscle? I said, open the book, you'll find it. <laughs> you can find it easily. Sure. So why should you pay me to say this is a biceps femoris? But I'm going to ask you, they brought an animal to you and there are no sensation on the lateral surface of the thigh, which a specific nerve is damaged. And let's dissect it. And it's tiny, thin nerve, which is the lateral cutanosura. And I followed up with another question. I said, okay, we have in our case the quadriceps femoris muscle. Then the nerve damaged in that specific area, supplying this muscle, need to identify to be identified. They said that this is the femoral. Okay, what is the origin of it? And what is the function of that muscle? Oh, it is an extensor of the stifle. Then the animal will not be able to extend the limb. So I am going to cover all of this. Mm-hmm. And I look at the intervertebral foramen. And I will tell you specific lumbar region or sacral region that this area is not normal. Which specific nerve will be damaged? And what are the signalment on the animal the minute you see the radiograph, you'll say, oh, from my anatomy knowledge that this is the femoral, mm-hmm. then I would expect this animal not to be able to extend this stifle joint. So you go to the animal and you see the same. If we do not apply the knowledge to, to on the animal, we are not going to be doing us a fa- ourselves a favor. Because if I say simple columnar epithelium in histology, Okay, well, whether it's simple or stratified, how is that going to help me in my clinic? That is the question that I ask the student to keep asking me or any of our faculty, the anatomy team, to say that, why are we studying this? We tell you the application. We tell you the absorption. We tell, tell you about the barrier in the intestine, the drugs, the interactions. All of these comes from or come arise from the normal histology, normal anatomy. If you don't link it and you learn it just to pass, you are going to struggle when you go to surgery, when you are going to be asked to understand the effect of certain medication. What is the machinery in the cell to process that medicine? And how much of it will reach the cell if you don't know the circulatory system? If I'm taking it orally or intravenously or intramuscularly, so it's completely different. Without application, these basic signs are going to be like just general knowledge. It's not going to be helping me excel in my uh, clinic when I graduate. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge thing. I mean, you can learn how to build a house, right? But if you don't know the blueprints, you're going to be making the same house, the same house, the same house. What if you need to edit that house and do a different one for someone else? So that's that's beautiful, the framework that you're building and instilling in students to want to learn by telling them that this can apply in the future. This can help you with surgery, internal medicine, all different factors, pharmacy. That's a huge thing that hopefully we all grasp from at least this little bit of an education that we are getting four years, you're right, is not that long at all. And you're sitting here telling me that you're still learning every day. So it's um, to me, that's encouraging to know that there's still that spark that you have about it. And hopefully we all find our niche and and maybe um, mentors that can help us guide us the right ways. And it sounds like just from you coming over to Iowa, they kind of steered you in that direction. You going back to Baghdad, giving your time and efforts and knowledge to absorb more information and translate that to a bunch of different people. I'm sure you've changed a lot of people's lives and that's beautiful. That's huge. So, and like a few of my students actually, they are like now dean, deans wow. of the College of Veterinary Medicine, not in Baghdad, in other cities or provinces, 
and some of them scatter all over the globe. So you tell me a country, and I may name one or two, like very successful veterinarian or researcher. That's so cool. I, I helped a large number of people, but still I think that I have more to give. And the debt that I have to Iowa State, mm-hmm. that you cannot compare to anything. I always tell the students, and even here, yes, I'm a faculty at Western University, but who trained me? Mm-hmm. Iowa State and College of Veterinary Medicine in Baghdad. These two colleges are the one that I am loyal to this school, mm-hmm. but who made me reach to this point, sure. those two schools. So I may move tomorrow to another job mm-hmm. and find another wonderful College of Veterinary Medicine in this country, which I don't call a country, I call it a continent, mm-hmm. because we have a four, three, four hours difference from East Coast to West Coast. And it's still this beautiful country. I'm going to be loyal to the new school also. Sure. But for you graduating from certain school or me graduated from Iowa, I'm always going to be like, I graduated from Iowa State University. I cannot change that one. Sure. You're proud. when I work. Totally okay. Very proud of it. Sure. Yeah. You're not forgetting your roots, where you came from, and, and who led you to the person you are today. Thank you. That's I think that's I think that's commendable. I don't I don't see an issue with that at all. I think you're just respecting your your past. And um, I think uh, there's there are some people that aren't in the veterinary medicine that listen to our show, which is awesome. And maybe they're curious about it. What advice do you give uh, aspiring veterinarian that wants to pursue something that you've done, or maybe is coming from another country that doesn't know how to do this international processing? What advice could you give to somebody that's just curious about veterinary medicine? There are a large number of people, they admire our country here. Lucky, this is a country of abundance. Mm-hmm. We have beautiful states, beautiful places, and we are successful in so many aspects in sciences and the veterinary medicine advanced to the level that people cannot imagine, even my students, because the education is not as before even in the Arab world, not only because I was in Jordan, in Khartoum, in Sudan, in Egypt for a short period of time. I interacted with those people from different countries. And I see that the limited information that they have. I mentioned at the beginning that four years is not enough, but we give you almost eight, 10 times information during these four years compared to my students in Jordan and Egypt. And they were not. They were complaining. You are not complaining. You want more. Mm-hmm. And so, for those people who are interested, they need to think differently. They need to prepare themselves. They need to see how you perform in the lab. And if you compare the time that you spend in the lab, the learning, the questions that you generate, you will add a lot of knowledge to those people looking at the exam and go look at it the minute you arrive here, it's not going to help you. First, understand how we function here, how we prepare the student, and find your weaknesses. I have weaknesses or weakness in pharmacology. Then I should take courses in here. Not like I took several courses in pharmacology when I was a student. does not matter. The time is different. The knowledge is different. More information is more important for you to help you understand how is the system working. Even if you pass the exam and you are successful and licensed, you're still lagging behind our graduates from our colleges here. We spend a lot of time. Some of the students may say that, oh, you are not teaching us. Yes, we are not. But we are guiding you through the process correctly. And if you just deviate a little bit, we let you go provided that you come back. If not, we will go back to you and you ask your questions. Why did you do that? Why shouldn't you do this one? The same goes for all these foreign graduates, and I am writing questions from time to time for these uh, ECVFG. Mm -hmm. They asked me to 
go to Chicago or during the COVID, I was working from home and writing questions to these exams. And I put questions at the same level as yours or most of the time higher because I very rarely put like first cognitive level of question. What is this nerve? Mm -hmm. How is that going to help me understand this foreign graduate will be able to perform unless I go to the level of the applied or surgical anatomy? And I did it for 10, 12 years now, uh, gladly, uh, like helping our country here to recruit the best. It does not mean that well, we are opening the door or closing the door in front of some people. Yes, we close the door in front of the incapable veterinarian or graduates, and especially those people that they graduated years before and they did not study and learn to improve themselves. Yeah, I'm go going back to what you're saying, the kind of framework that you're instilling in us here at our education, like with the PBL curriculum, I think that's huge to kind of what you were saying earlier is finding the answer that, you know, people that are going to graduate beyond us and after us are going to, are going to know more. They're going to get their information faster. They're going to isolate. There's going to be new ways. Giving us the proper roadway to find the answer is sometimes, you know, to you, you learn things, which is cool with us. You're like, ah, oh, that makes, you know, you're connecting these different pathways. And I think that's why we come out a little bit ahead of a lot of people, especially during clinics of other schools that are primarily didactic. Because theirs is, I feel like you just read it and regurgitate it. And if you don't know how to get to that answer, you may not know the answer. But if you can get your way, especially with new things that come out in science, I think that's the best way to learn. At least for me, that's how I learn. I like to know, you know, how, how is this table made? You know, you could give me a pamphlet all day long that is, you know, telling you how to make it. But you guys are t taking us, here's the leg. Here's the table. How do, these, how do you think these two go together? <laughs> Not to brag about uh, curriculum, the problem-based learning, mm -hmm. but to give you one or two examples that the founding dean, Shirley Johnston, mm -hmm. uh, she's a theriogenologist from uh, Minnesota. Uh, she retired. And uh, she was speaking to the class of 2011. And she told them that we are teaching you tricks that you will be using 30 years from now. If you call any of the faculty at that time, they will not pick up the phone. <laughs> and that is one. I'm training my group now, first year group, to ask questions. I, like I know for sure, they have knowledge because they were like, we ask you and evaluate you according to our criteria here, 500, 1000 hours of veterinary or uh, animal uh, services experience, but I need them to ask questions. The minute I sat there and they said, oh, we don't know how to ask questions, I said, tell me a word. And the student told me her name and her name is a flower. <laughs> so I said, the name is a flower, isn't it? Yeah. Do we have it in Southern California? Do we have it in Northern California? Is it there in the cold area in Canada? Smells really good. So what is the price of the, <laughs> the, the cologne they produce from it? Where do they sell it? So what are the diseases that may prevent us from like having the, these plants in here? Do you know any store around? And I continue to ask questions. Right. And she said, I understand. <laughs> I said, no, but I'm going to do the same when we comes to any of our clinical Sure. Signalment, animal, dog, small, large. The minute you bring me the animal, I will say age, weight, and I will start asking questions. Even if everything is normal in front of me, I will learn how to formulate them in my brain so that I can reach to diagnosis. Yes, we may compare ourselves with other graduates from other veterinary schools in our wonderful country, they may have more basic science knowledge, as you said, but if they don't use it for a year or two, they start to disappear. Sure. But we are building on our foundation, as you said, and then building more. The foundation is still there because we are building on them. So we have to know what happened and why are we putting this block. So the 
body, as you said, is a house. Mm. Then the block is a cell. Sure. And then there are cement, which is the interstitial connective tissue and blood <laughs> vessels and electricity and phones and whatever. So when I look at the building, I see them anatomical structures. When I see the wiring, I will say, oh, those are nerves or blood supply. Mm-hmm. And if you apply this knowledge, you go to the animal and you think that I am going to apply my knowledge on this animal and reach to a diagnosis. Yes, we may have difficulty in one or two, then this is the referral. I'm going to refer it to my colleagues who is a specialist in uh, nervous system, let's say. Wow. Thank that's you. that's beautiful. I love that. And the, the bathroom is the GI tract, right? <laughs> and that's the excretion. <laughs> Everything is going out yeah. of the body. Everything's got a purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I love that. So I know everything is not this triumphant success story. Um, I know you've probably dealt with issues just like everyone has, you know, trial and tribulation. That's how we're tested, whether it be through faith, um, through just wanting to be better and better ourselves. Is there been a time in your life where you've learned a really big lesson from something that was either a failure? I don't even like to classify it as a failure because if you've learned from something that set you back, I think that's a success, even though it may have been hard in time, you know, whether it be emotionally or mentally. Uh, Has there been a time in your life where you just sit there and you reflect on it and you say, I learned from that and I grew from that? There are so many instances. You know, when I said that I'm from Baghdad, Iraq, this beautiful, rich country, and we have like enough people to run everything, we have all kinds of geography. We have uh, like cosmopolitan people and we lived in harmony and it's a rich country. Mm-hmm. We have oil, we produce dates. Yeah. If we want to feed China, we managed at that time. We had th- more than 30 million dead palm trees. Wow. And every one of them if carries 100, 200 kilograms. Imagine how much dates we have. and. Some of them are already planted in uh, India. In 1930, they imported them from there in Algier. I, every year I go there just to harvest some and buy from them. What I'm trying to say here, that the struggle I passed through after so many wars, Iraq passed through, and I had one child when I went to school in Iowa, and I had, I'm lucky to have a one daughter, Beautiful, mm. and she was born in Iowa, in Ames. Wow. And then I had two boys in Baghdad when I returned with my PhD. And their education is more important for me than anything else in the world. And the education started to go down because of the war. They diverted the economy to war with Iran, with so many things like happened in Iraq. And I realized that I sat there. I was associate dean for so many years, nominated to be the dean of the college. And in Iraq at that time, when you are a dean, oh my God, you're blessed. But I was paid very little money. Mm -hmm. And the education, I was thinking like, okay, if I stay there, I'm going to fail my children. I have to move. And then I decided to move. I learned from that with patience, endurance, that during that time, people were cursing each other, talking about the system, fighting the regime. That's not for me. I am an educator. And I know that I'm not going to change the system by just saying a few words here and there. (laughs) So I was smiling all the time, and people were saying, like, how could you keep the smile? on your face. I kept the smile on my face to raise my children in a healthy environment, to spread the peace around me with the people that I was interacting with. And then I moved to Jordan. I carried the same spirit with me. And lucky me, I came here as a Fulbright scholar at Purdue University for nine months at the beginning. And they liked me. I stayed longer for two years because it's called I landed here. So in every step I suffered, either financially 
or the stress from the war or the worries about my four children and their education. Yeah. They are all successful. And thanks God and thanks to the system. The thanks to you. <laughs> Thank Don't you. Don't about your role in that Thank too. Thank you. That's what that's, uh, that's Johnston husband, Gary Johnston, God rest his soul in peace. Mm-hmm. He said that, I said that I'm lucky that I've been in several countries and I learned and suffered personally, but I did not reflect that suffering sure. on my family. And he said that if Wael Kamas is in Africa, his children will be successful. I love that. That, that he, he believed in me because sure. he knew how much I contributed to the establishment of this school I started in 2005 two years into the school and I am very happy and lucky. I every day thank God and thank the people around me and I don't know how to pay the school here at Western U to pay them back because they adopted me. Let's put it this way. I applied and I had different visa and they don't have a visa officer, J1 officer at that time. And they said, we will wait for you as long as it takes. So I changed my visa while I was at Purdue. And every time I suffer, I think for a reason, as as you you mentioned that failure, yes, I failed in so many choices, so many aspects in my life. And failures are experience with time. When I fail and I know how to navigate the struggle I passed through during the COVID, with my age and learning in new applications, and the minute I master it, they change it to another one. <laughs> one of the young, young faculty anatomist left. He retired. He said, I'm not going to learn in new applications. Right. I'm happy to learn on a daily basis with you, provided that you send me from time to time. <laughs> I'm successful. Uh-huh. And that's all what I needed from you. I'm serving the community. Sure. I am taking care of the animals. I feel so happy when they contact me and they say something like this, or they stop by. And we still remember anatomy and histology. Sure. This is more than enough for me. So then I think you answered your own question on how you can pay the school back. You're you're doing it by, you know, instilling that drive and passion in us to go out and just have that chain reaction for the love of the profession. Thank you. So that's, I think, I think that's tenfold repaid back. Thank you so, so much for saying that. You, yeah, we, that's... That's very, very, very uh, important for a lot of people here because I think we get kind of, uh, we have our own setbacks, uh, especially with the amount of information, like you said, compared to a lot of other uh, countries that aren't as privileged as we are when it comes to education. And we can get overwhelmed and lose track of our goal. And we kind of get blindsided by the different subjects that come at us, all the different ologies. People don't understand. They, they, They think veterinary medicine is not that difficult, you know, but they don't realize we're looking at a multitude of different species, that it's not just one species that we're looking at. And there's a whole plethora of issues that can come from thinking like that. So I think you remind us all the time that we're learning to better ourselves and better actually the world, really. I mean, as dramatic as that, it is a one health approach. I mean, we got to see COVID firsthand, you know, and that came from animals. So at the end of the day, who are you going to turn to? Yeah, a veterinarian? I agree. Very well <laughs> Sorry, a little biased opinion of me yeah, yeah. about veterinary medicine, just because I always laugh when, when I tell people, oh, I'm a veterinary student. They're like, oh, uh, is that like a doctor? Is that, uh, is, you know, is that a two-year degree? And you know, for us, we're obviously kind of immune to that now because we know how much work, how much time, how much commitment, how much education and training and you're a prime example, like you you keep saying over and over again, you're learning from us and we're learning from you and you're learning from science and that's true. It's this triad of this beautiful connection that we have. But I do wanna say that uh, sometimes we let veterinary medicine consume our lives. How have you been able to de-stress? I know you talk about the importance of your family. What does, what, what gets Dr. Kamas going like with just passion and drive. It can't just be veterinary medicine. So aside from veterinary medicine, um, you're an avid bird, uh, you know, whisperer. I believe that (laughs) they tell you all the secrets, the pigeons, uh, 
What, what's going on with the pigeons? Why do you have such a love for these birds? I, I don't know. When I was young, my elder brother brought some of them, and he, for some reason, failed one year in school. So they said that no more pigeons, but they stuck in my brain. And I started to have one pair, two pairs, but not all the time because whenever I like pass through certain stage of my life, high school degree, uh, veterinary medicine, uh, when I have like an exam board or something, like I stop. The rest of the time, I love all birds, mm -hmm. to tell you the truth, even the hawk, who sometimes come and borrow one of my pigeons. <laughs> as painful as it is on me, I feel that this guy is hungry and he has to eat. Sure. And I love him. So I started to have some of them here, but they increased in number. <laughs> and I don't let them like stop because I said that I'm putting them here. <laughs> let them enjoy life. <laughs> and I donate whatever extra. So I spend some time talking to them. Mm -hmm. And my uh, middle son said, Daddy, they don't understand. I said, doesn't matter. I do. <laughs> and I know their language. Sometimes I hear them talking to each other and I know what or what I expect what they are saying in, in that case against the my office at home on this on the glass I put some feeder mm -hmm. for the sparrows and they come and they talk to me sometimes mm -hmm. and sometimes they get scared and leave so I play backgammon okay with my friends I go to the gym a lot of time like because of my children, they pushed me when we arrived here and I have time compared to what I had was doing in Iraq. I did not even have time to rest sometimes from place to place. And then eventually life is moving. Still, I couldn't exercise much other than running. So I go to the gym five, six days a week. Wow. Which is good, even if, if I have, don't have time. Early morning when I woke up, I go there, I visit friends, and I listen to Arabic music, mm -hmm. and I sing a little bit of it. Ooh. But yeah. You're going to have to give us a show next time in the anatomy lab. We're going to hold you to it. You're saying, you're saying all those listeners out there are going to approach yeah. you. And I read a lot of uh, poetry and uh, listen to news uh, just to know what is going on in the world because... Like it's difficult if you just hang up onto the news. It's going to be difficult for us to survive and be happy. So switch from place to place. Sometimes I see a movie, especially when it goes to a court and learn the system and I have high respect of the system here. So I enjoy the interaction between people and listen to their the way that they question the witnesses. And I think Traveling is very, like, uh, not my passion because inside the country, I love to travel and move from place to place. Mm -hmm. When it goes overseas with 16 hours on the plane, I, like, unless I have a conference that I had to, I have to go to, I will not travel. We have a country that have lots of things. Sure. I have not seen yet. Yeah. So I am enjoying myself. And uh, always think of you guys when you tell me when you come after the break and tell me, I have gone, I went to this place, I have right. done this one, two, three, four. And I feel like, okay, now it's the time to bring the knowledge and yeah. let's discuss it together. You live vicariously through all your students. Yes. You hear their stories and feel their passion. Exactly. That's awesome. I love that. And that's um, that's something I think a lot of people get lost in is is just going back to I love that you can separate and you can enjoy even the little things like feeding birds I think we think we have to create a persona of us outside of veterinary medicine sometimes to say to like better our mental health because that's like a big issue in the industry is is burnout we're seeing a massive amount of veterinarians educators like you said retire with COVID happening how can we bridge this transition of now from COVID learning, we've we've got new issues that arose from that. Like, how do you think we can better ourselves or our communication? Because 
a lot of times people are in their phones, they're on their tablets. Yeah. They, we've just, at least in my life, I remember when cell phones weren't even a, a thing in middle school, right? Or elementary school, no one had them. Now, now you see five, 10, 12 year olds having cell phones always would rather text and then have a conversation like this. How do you think we bridge that gap? It's really difficult because of the system that we built and we were thinking to help people and it is going to be very helpful if we use it, the phone appropriately or even the media regardless of what, what it is. I'm afraid that we are going to be having the, the society fabric going to be like different. Sure. And without the educational people, it's going to be difficult to bridge the gap because people may treat the disease differently and the disease get chronic mm -hmm. and the bacteria will be resisting, resistant to antibiotic if we are not using the appropriate antibiotic or not using the appropriate dose. So in this country, I call it again, country of abundance. We take things for granted. We need to educate people and target those education people in our country to help us with their research. Like during the hurricane a few days ago, stores, the shelves were empty. Mm -hmm. Are you going to be eating all of that food in mm -hmm. two days, three, one week, two weeks? Because we are like, I'm going to say it, spoiled. Sure. Because of the abundance we have and we are not patient with each other. Think about your colleague, think about your friend, think about your neighbor. And there are so many examples in the world that a neighbor sleeping at night without food in his stomach while his neighbor throw food in the garbage. Mm -hmm. How is that logical when we are human beings and we love each other and we care about each other? So the first thing that we had, we have to do, influence the media somehow. I don't know how, because the media is like taking big charge yeah. of our lives. And the education people, please help us. The society is not going to be healthy in 10, 20 years if we continue to isolate ourselves. I have the most social person in my family my elder son, he's a computer science engineer. Wow. He works with Cisco mm -hmm. in New Hampshire, Manchester. Very rarely he talk when he, you see him now because he was years working from home sure. in front of his computer. I need to pull him out. He's too far. If he's close to me, I will manage to take him out to Ask him to help me with projects. Sure. The same we should do with our friends, with our colleagues. If one in the group, like he knew the effect of the phone, on the media, on the separation, on the isolation of another person in the group, whether he is or she my neighbor or people group or in the clinic, I will target that person. God will pay me back. Mm -hmm. If the people are not going to, and as you said, one needs one person. If you save that person from the media, from the influence, and bring that person to the society, you are helping hundreds of thousands of people that person is going to interact closely with. So I think we need to put a plan, research plan, sure. for those education people and beg them and pay them money mm. for grants so that they do the research in different like cities because we have yeah demographics are exactly. ever changing and it so is. many like you said there's abundance of diversity and socially i think we're on this downtrend of like you said isolation which is i think worse for our profession especially going out a lot of us are going to go into general practice emergency I can't imagine not having a conversation like we're having with our clients. You know, we can't talk to our patients. So 
if we can't have this conversation with our clients, how are we going to even get through to them to, to teach them, to educate them, to be empathetic with them, for them? That's going to be a huge setback. So I think, like you said, if we go out, we probe the conversations. That's kind of why I'm doing this show. I want people to have com- real conversations. We get so lost in our own lives that we neglect our neighbor or our family even, which is even a bigger thing. You put major emphasis on the choices that you made because you had a responsibility to cater to your family's needs. And not everybody gets that. A lot of people get sidetracked with their own personal success and we become selfish. And that's something that I try, I'm i trying to learn myself is to not be so selfish, of course, you know, with all these changes coming in my life. But I want to probe these questions. Uh, and for people listening, I want them to go out and have these conversations to change people's minds, to be courageous and have a good time while doing it. So I think that's what we did today. Um, but I do have one last question for you. And I like to ask a lot of people this. If you could be an animal, what animal would you be and why? I Maybe because of my love for pigeon, I would love to be a bird. <laughs> Regardless, yeah. pigeon or not, I know their lifespan is short, uh-huh. but it doesn't matter. Sure, They are, even when they talk to each other, it's like a song to me at least. So they are harmless other than like if they be in millions like in New York City, they are going to be like uh, producing lots of waste. So the bird is not not harming anyone. And there are so many beautiful colors. It doesn't bother me whether I'm like colorful or not white, black, doesn't matter because I'm a bird. I'm not going to hurt anyone. I'm going to help my neighbor and I'm faithful to my family. <laughs> I love that person. That's that's definitely you. Yeah. I think anyone would agree that you are a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show and uh we as students and future veterinarians appreciate you as just a person too. We see you. Um please, I don't even think I have to tell you this because you have so much tenacity and grit that you've you've built on yourself and your career continue to smile, continue to inspire us because we appreciate you and we love you. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Of course, my friend. Thanks for listening to another amazing episode on Veterinary Vibes, the podcast where we vibe so you can thrive. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening on. If you want to get in touch with me, please email me at veterinaryvibespodcast at gmail.com. Take care.